Welcome, my friend. You are listening to Read Clean YA with CJ, the podcast for teens and young adults who want to explore exciting worlds, deep themes, and epic stories without the objectionable content. I'm your host, award-winning young adult author, CJ Malacy, and in this episode, we are going to dive into an author interview with fellow young adult author, Given Hoffman. Given Hoffman is an author, an international blogger on Christian worldview, an instructor in communication, and a writing coach. With 15 years of experience in the realms of writing, media, and communication, Given is passionate about writing engaging stories that will help teens answer their questions about God and grow in their Christian faith. Given Hoffman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, CJ. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to get to chat with you today. And today we are going to be talking about your book, The Tournament's Price, which is book one in your Marked series. And this book is not fantasy, but a medieval action adventure. And I am so excited to talk about it because we have knights and princes and lords and all of the fun things that come when you think about medieval stories. And I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah, so Marked is about a prince who's betrayed by those he tries to help and unjustly branded a thief. Compelled to prove his innocence, he journeys deep into enemy territory only to find the truth buried in treachery. So the story really revolves a lot around Prince Gage, who is a second-born prince. He's not in line for the throne, so a lot of his initial conflict is where his place is in the in the world and within this setting, because he's, you know, obviously not anticipating taking over the throne. Um, he has an older brother who is very much like, that's his driven, you know, like plan. And Gage is kind of like, where, where do I fit in this? But I also don't want to be handed stuff just because of where I am. I want to earn it. Uh, So he kind of starts out with that and then a lot of things take place and really take him on his own unique journey, discovering what leadership means and um, what responsibility is, but also the challenges of when leadership and responsibility go wrong and all the pieces to that. And so um, I really love the story. I love the setting. Obviously, I love the story, right? It's my story. <laughs> That's good. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, it's it'll probably be about five books long. So I'm working on book three right now, which has taken a lot longer than I hoped. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a series with a lot to it, a lot of intrigue, a lot of things under the surface that Gage kind of figures out as he goes because it's three kingdoms and he does a lot of traveling in one of the other kingdoms. So um, yeah, just a lot of pieces. I think stories with a lot of pieces are fun because then as the reader, you get to kind of put the puzzle together as you figure out where they all connect and what they all mean. And it sounds like Gage is figuring out some of those things as he goes too, because he's exploring these other kingdoms and I think you mentioned treachery at one point. So that's always an exciting thing to discover and horrible for the character, but great for the reader because it keeps us turning the pages, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So what are other stories that you think are similar to your marked series? Is it like, are there other books that you think would fit in the same realm or even tropes or something that you think readers who love this thing will love your books as well? You know, that's always a difficult question because I tend to write in these weird little corners that most people don't really venture down. Um, But I mean, medieval setting, lots of people love the medieval setting. Um, I try to write accurate to the medieval time period. So anyone who loves 
the medieval setting where you've got, yeah, the knights, swords, battles, um, all those things. And then it's an, it's an action adventure. It moves along. Like you said, yes, there's treachery, there's intrigue, there's all these pieces, right? And Gage kind of encounters those early on, but doesn't really realize which what things he's really encountering and then realizing the deeper nature to some of the stuff that's going on. So, yeah, you know, I think... I think most readers who enjoy things like Chuck Black's Kingdom series, if you're looking kind of further than that, even a little bit younger age range, which I usually say for my books about 12 and up for independent reading. Um, But I know families that have read it out loud to younger audiences. But even things like The Ranger's Apprentice, John Flanagan, I think is the author. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, So yeah, The Ranger's Apprentice. There's a lot of different, you know, like books out there that are a little bit older, like Black Arrow, you know, some of the older books that are set in the medieval time period too. So, I mean, if, if you've loved exploring the time period and you're an action adventure fan, um, I think this book is going to appeal. Definitely. It sounds like it would. And I think once you discover a time period that you love, like medieval times, it's hard to find enough books to fill that void. So it's perfect to have a whole new series with more to come. I love it when you know the series is not quite finished because it means that adventure continues. So you definitely provide that with this series, which is great. I mean, this is a set in medieval times, so it's not like you've lived there or anything. So what kind of inspired you to start this series? You know, I actually don't really remember. (laughs) It's been so long in the making. I actually, I think, initially started brainstorming this series back in 2012. Wow. So it's been a long time in the making. I'm really excited that it's kind of finally coming to fruition and getting to actually produce these books. Um, But, you know, I I love the medieval time period, so I don't know if that's kind of just where it started. Usually I start with characters, and Gage just seemed to fit in the medieval time period. His story kind of just developed into this medieval intrigue. So yeah, I don't I don't really remember where it came from, but I do love stories that have more of a realistic base. Uh-huh. Um, I don't tend to write fantasy. I've, I mean, I dabble in fantasy here and there when it comes to short stories and different things. Um, I definitely like fantasy, but when I write my own stuff, I tend towards realism. I tend towards a real world feel where like the reader could feel like they could just accidentally get yanked into the world and dumped in, and they, exactly as they are, could engage in that world. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of the feel that I usually run with. So I liked that this setting, even though it kind of lends itself towards that fantasy feel, because the medieval and the, you know, the knights and the swords and all those things, horses, you know, who doesn't love a good horseback ride. So, you know, it, it lends itself towards that feel, but I like to keep it completely away from actually launching into a fantasy setting where it is that real life base. This is what sure. you would encounter if you really went back to the medieval time period or even today, like the conversations, the settings that are are real. And that's just something that's on my heart because I think that we have a lot of fantasy out there, especially in the YA realm, which I think is awesome. But I think we also need to balance it back out with books that are real and do speak to here and now mm. and how we engage in the world today or even back then, but it's still applicable for today. So you're talking about real religions, real, you know, real settings, which I mean, this is a fantasy setting, but it's real world setting. Um, right. So that's just something that's really on my heart as an author is to try to engage the young adult realm within like their real life setting. Mm. I love that passion and that focus, too, because it can be easy to as much as stories. I believe stories and fantasy and sci fi and all of these things can teach us about our lives. It can be easy to be like, well, that's a fantasy world. Whereas when it's based in real life and you in a real world scenario, so to speak, you suddenly 
do have to think, okay, well, what if I was in that position and, and I could be there or I could experience these same kinds of struggles because it is a real world. And what does that look like? And how do I wrestle through some of those questions and everything? And I think that there's something really powerful in that for readers to be able to grapple with. And, and it's also great when you can actually be like, oh, these are history lessons at the same time. I prefer learning history through fiction stories personally. So <laughs> me too. Me too. Yes. Some of my favorite books growing up were books that would just kind of focus on whether it was a missionary story from like a fictional character's point of view. And so now I'm learning about these heroes of the faith from a in a different way. And I engaged in those books in a way more than I did when learning history in school or from my mom or whatever, you know, so it it makes the facts come alive instead of it just being like, okay, that stuff happened. It's like, yeah, what would it have been like to actually be there during the Civil War? What would it have been like to experience World War II and have to go through these things and make these decisions? And I love that. Like it does. It makes history so much more interesting. Yes. And because history is fascinating. So Mm -hmm. if you can if you can grow a love and encourage a love for that as young as possible, I think that's fantastic. And your books can do that. They can deliver a new love for medieval history, I'm sure, to readers as they discover a world that was a real world that existed many years ago. So, yeah, yeah. even even for me, it's been kind of startling to realize how much even the setting of kingship and lords and all those things are such a foreign concept to me as an American. You know, it's like, it's not how we functioned as our government or systems. And so looking at like, when I read the Bible and look at like, okay, yep, there's lords over these different people, or like even looking at God as like our king, what does that mean to like swear loyalty and, you know, our, our whole lives to God as our king. And I think that's one thing that I've really loved exploring in this story with even how Mm. Gage relates to his father, who's the king. And then also eventually as he's looking at who God is and saying, Hey, Hey, what does this look like for me to actually see God as my king mm. when I have sworn fealty to, you know, like my father is king within this realm and just how different some of those perspectives are and that authority structure and who ultimately you answer to. So it's been mm. kind of cool even that way. Things that like it is history, but it's like the ancient history of biblical times as well yeah. is an impact because medieval is like as far back as it is, but as far forward as it is, like it still relates to a lot of those pieces. Definitely. It's so true because we aren't, as Americans, we don't think in terms of kings and queens and lords right. and ladies. Like that's not how we grew up. It's not how our culture set up in any way, shape or form. So it is helpful sometimes to pause and think and even looking back at these past times in history where that was how it worked. If the king said something, you got to do it. Like that was just how it went. And if you were under a king, you submitted to that king. And and then taking that a step further and thinking, okay, if I'm saying I'm under the kingship of Christ, if God is my king, then what does that mean? That means I'm going to be obedient to what he says. And it looks different than maybe we would think as an American who wants to be like, oh, my way is the right way, of course, you know, and that's not always true. And I love the deeper themes that can so easily kind of come out. And it sounds like we've already been talking about them a little bit, but are there some themes within your stories that whether they were woven in intentionally or you discovered them through the writing that you have found to be in this series? 
Yeah, you know, when I first started out, I think I had some and kind of discovered some along the way. And then, you know, as you kind of get through the first book, you really kind of solidify what you're doing with it. And so with this series particularly, I really wanted to look at the question of leadership, responsibility, and influence. Because, you know, Gage isn't in line for the throne. And often we have that princes are different things in a story. Like it's, you know, it's very common that your main character is a prince. Um, But I wanted to take that a step backwards and be like, okay, so he's not in line for the throne. He isn't looking at leadership the same way. And yet... Because he is a prince, there is an element where people are still expecting leadership. They're still expecting him. And he's he's a king's son, but he's also within the nobility. So you would usually take over a manor or have some sort of leadership position within that. And so, again, Gage kind of wants to prove himself in that role, but he's also kind of terrified of it because there's so much responsibility and leadership. And he's one of those people that recognizes the weight of that and the influence of that. And I think that's really common for a lot of young people today to be afraid of taking leadership positions or having that influence just because mm-hmm. there is so much responsibility to that and you do there is a certain amount of power to that which when you see power abuse sometimes you're like I don't want power like I don't want to be yeah. in those positions I don't want to mess up and that's very much gauge he doesn't want to mess up but he really wants to prove himself he wants to use it for good but things happen and a lot of the initial part of the series he walks away from the power and responsibilities that he has but then he watches the results of kind of abdicating that position and then he also watches other people take on that influence and power in other positions and utilize it badly And he kind of gets these moments where he gets to be in a position to see that he has so much that he could be doing. And this aspect that each of us have influence. And regardless of what our circles are, it might just be our siblings. It might be our family members. It might be our coworkers. It might be people at church. It might be, you know, whoever it is in our realm, every single one of us has influence. And with that influence is leadership. And so Mm -hmm. looking that and saying, yes, there is the fear of it going wrongly. There's the fear of the risk, but there's also so much good that can happen when you Mm -hmm. utilize that correctly and utilize it for good and to honor God. And so I really wanted to look at that picture and kind of help young people see like, yes, you have so much potential. Don't fear it, but hold that responsibility and cherish it and walk out that leadership in a God-honoring way. And so that's kind of the big overarching theme that I wanted to look at in this story. Gage is also not a Christian initially. He grew up in a Christian family. Of course, he will eventually become a Christian, right? Because there's a Christian book, right? He's not a Christian. He grew up in a Christian family. His family just assumes that he is. And so much of Gage's journey too is the acknowledgement of where he really stands with God and then also the journey of trying to figure out what Mm -hmm. does a relationship with God look like, who is God, um, how he wants to walk that out. So also looking at the dynamic of like, yeah, we have leadership, we have influence, but also like where are we standing with God and how are we using that and, and who is God in that? Is he forcing us into things or is he inviting us into them? So just a lot of the pieces Mm -hmm. of who we are as people and how we actually do interact with this world. Mm, so powerful. And I think you really nailed it when you said there there are times where we see negative leadership expressed and then it kind of terrifies us to be like, well, I don't want to be that person. So I'm just going to step back and do nothing. And that's not the right response either. But it can be the the natural response because 
I think every person can probably pause and think whether it was a bad teacher or a person at church who was in a position of leadership who really treated us horribly or, you know, we can go through the scenarios that of people who had leadership and really used it as a weapon instead of a tool to help those who are being under their who are under their influence. And then to really rise above that and learn from those mistakes of others, essentially, and take hold of that responsibility God has given us and that influence God has given us and be a leader, you know, wherever that may be. If it's just, like you said, to our siblings or friends or family or people at work or whatever responsibility God gives us, big or small, to then take hold of that and do it as unto him and in a way that honors God, but also really honors other people as well, because we're leading with humility as opposed to how bad leaders lead with pride and, you know, just to make themselves look better or whatever. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And that chance to kind of redeem that position to be like, you know what? I'm not always going to do it right. Like I'm going to need grace too for the things I mess up, but I want to walk this out with honor and I can, I can show a redemption of this position, even if it is just in a small form. Mm-hmm, definitely. Because we never know who's watching our lives. As we watch other people, the good and the bad and the ugly of it, others are watching us. And it's those who who we are influencing, whether we know it or we don't. You know, if you you might be that teen at home who has a little sibling and you have no idea how much that little brother or sister is watching you and they are and everything we do does have an impact on the lives of others. We don't live in a bubble. Our lives, our choices directly impact those around us. And as we yes, we mess up and we all need grace. So this is not a guilt trip in any way. But at the same time, like that can be taken hold of with courage and like relying on the Lord to then be like, okay, I'm going to step up. I'm going to do this the best that I can. I'll fall on my face sometimes, but I'm going to get back up. and I'm going to try again. And I'm going to try to do this in a way that is better than what I've maybe seen done in the past or even emulating those who have done it really well, you know, ourselves. So those are great themes. And I think the need for great leaders is becoming more and more in this world that we're living in, where leaders are often looked at as those who are just about it for the political gain or to make to line their own pockets or to do they're just out for themselves. Like I think a lot of times when we think leaders, that's what we're thinking. And we need a different type of leader. We need the kind of man or woman who is going to stand up and follow what's right and follow the Lord and honor God in that, but also realizing that the best way to lead is by first submitting to the authority of Christ in our own lives, which it sounds like Gage needs to figure out in his own yeah. his own journey. So I love that you dealt with that because it's easy to grow up hearing it all, like hearing all the Christian stuff and knowing all of the right answers and never addressing the heart of the issue for ourselves. So it's a powerful, powerful reality, something we really do need to address in our own lives, each and every one of us at some point, like, is this, is this really my relationship with God or is it my parents' relationship with God? You know? Yep. Yep. And I think the same way with leadership, often it's, you know, often we're kind of pushed into it. And I think the best leaders is when you do take that moment to decide, like, is this a personal choice or not? And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people make that choice in a bad way, but people can also make that choice in a really good way. And, 
a lot of people, especially young people, I think people just assume they grew up in a Christian realm. So they just assume they've got to be Christians. And, Mm. um, especially for me, like I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and I was definitely saved. I would say I was saved. You know, I I knew I wanted Jesus as my savior. Um, but it wasn't until my teens where I really acknowledged Jesus as my Lord and my Mm. King and that I really wanted to follow him, not just have him save me. Um, and so there is the, there is that element of when we make it our personal choice, it becomes a different journey. And with leadership, I think so often the best leaders are the ones that don't want to be leaders. And yet they, you know, God puts them in that position and says, are you willing? Are you willing to do this for me? And to say, yes, Lord, like this is, this is what I will do for you. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not, you know, I'm not taking this on because I want power, but I'm doing it because I recognize that there's a need and I recognize that um, there's an influence and a responsibility here and I'll take it on. Mm. I I think it's, it's first or second Corinthians where Paul says like, not many wise are called, not many noble, you know, and he goes through that list and he's pretty much like, it's not the strong, it's not the rich, it's not the best that God calls so often. It's the weak. It's the ones who don't have a ton. It's the ones who feel like they are not up for the task. And because, you know, it's in our weakness later, he'll say that at the end of second Corinthians, like that Jesus says to Paul in my strength is made perfect in your weakness because my grace is sufficient for you. And that's the reality. And that's the place we need to come to, because I think you're right. It's not when we're grasping for that leadership and seeking that power. That's not that's not what makes a good leader. What makes a good leader is the one who understands their own frailty and their own inability and humbly needs to to lay themselves before the Lord and just be like, okay, God, like you put me here. You're going to have to figure out what to do with me now. (laughs) Absolutely. And it looks different. It doesn't mean being the president of the United States necessarily, but it, you know, it just means showing up each day where God has called us and faithfully walking there, even when we feel like we're out of our league, because he never leaves us or forsakes us. So if God's put us there, he has a purpose for us in that moment, in that place. And if we'll just trust and rely on him, he'll bring us through and we'll see at the end of it, the fact that he worked in a way we could never have worked on our own. <laughs> and that reality brings him glory because we were like, that was not me at the end of the day, not me at all. <laughs> so, which is such a good place to be because now we aren't lifted up in pride, but humbly able to continue walking forward in what God has for us. Absolutely. Now with your stories, with the story about Gage in particular, would you say that he's your favorite character, not that favorites are a thing we should pick. I always say we shouldn't pick favorites. And I ask authors every single interview, what is your favorite character? (laughs) But I do love to know if there's a character that you really love in the story. And I think it's fun when it's sometimes the unexpected. (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, it is a little unexpected for me because Gage isn't a favorite character. I think I spend (laughs) way too much time with him. And so I'm like, okay, we have kind of a love-hate relationship. Um, no, I mean, I love, I love Gage, obviously, because I'm writing his story. But um, my, f- one of my favorite characters actually hasn't arrived in the series yet. And then one of my other favorite characters is actually Sir Wick, um, one of Gage's knights, who shows up pretty, he's, he's there in the beginning, like the first book, um, but he actually becomes a point of view character in the second book. And I love bringing him in because you kind of have the contrast already of Gage as a prince and then the commoners. 
And Sir Wick is kind of a bottom rung knight, didn't really think he'd get far. And and yet here he is kind of on Prince's gauge as retinue and being able to travel with him. And so in a way, he kind of represents the middle of everything. You know, it's that person who like isn't insignificant, but also isn't super significant. And so he's kind of stuck in the middle. And he's he's the one who carries a lot of the information that's like, I know everything, but I'm not allowed to say anything. And I don't really have power, but I'm, I'm answering to like both sides of things. Right. And so he's very much caught in the middle, but he's also kind of this balancing, fun, interesting character. Um, and I just, uh, I enjoyed his perspective because it was just a little bit more unique than, yeah, like than Gages as a royal or as the commoners. Like it just had a different flair to it. And I enjoyed that. Yes. Very fun. I like it. I like it when it's a little off the beaten track of who you'd expect to be the favorite. Now, as we kind of come to the near the end of our episode, I love to ask authors if they could share share a little bit with listeners about themselves. So would you mind just kind of giving us a peek behind the curtain and telling us what you enjoy doing when you're not writing your fantastic stories? Yeah, you know, I actually owned horses for a number of years, so I loved horseback riding, but I actually sold my horses last year. So I'm getting into some new hobbies. I've been doing like cross country skiing and um, some different things. So I I love being outdoors. I think it's a really, it's a nice balance to writing because you sit inside on a computer so often. And so I love being active outdoors, but I also love just like sitting in a coffee shop, chatting with friends about worldview or life or all the different things. And I love taking apart movies. One of my biggest hobbies is watching movies and evaluating and taking them apart for worldview. It's um, something I just really love. I love doing that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favorite um, side things to do. And (laughs) because there's something about it just digging deeper into the stories and be like okay what is this actually saying to us right now (laughs) fun yeah so a little bit of outside and inside activities then very nice do you miss your horses i do every day yeah i can imagine (laughs) i've never so i'm kind of a city girl i'm right outside of philadelphia um so i'm a suburban girl i like to say i'm not a country girl i'm not a city girl i'm a suburban girl but we do not have horses that we can ride easily here so i haven't done a ton of horseback riding other than like that friend's birthday party who lived in the country (laughs) you know what i mean so but it always looks fun i ride bikes and do that poorly so you know we have i'm not sure that the horse the bigger version essentially would be a good option you know bikes are much safer they don't have a brain of their own do things so exactly and and i'm dangerous on that so can you imagine (laughs) oh great well as we wrap things up can you let readers know where they can find you and your books and connect with you yeah so um a lot of times a lot of times i'm not very good about posting on social media um but when i do post i'm usually on instagram you can find me there at just given hoffman author and then i also do put out a newsletter occasionally which you can find on my website which is givenhoffman.com i do have a place on my website where you can go find the books and buy them um, straight from like my publisher base but you can also find them online anywhere so you know find them wherever you normally find books that's awesome they should be there if they're not there let me know Um, (laughs) but you should be able to find them almost any place Perfect. And we will have links to all of those things in the show notes so people can go click on them and find your your website and your books everywhere. So Given Hoffman, thank you so much for being on Read Clean YA with CJ. It was a blast getting to chat with you and hear about your fantastic stories. Thank you so much, CJ. I hope you enjoyed listening in on this conversation with Given Hoffman. It was a joy to chat with Given and get to know her better. 
If you're looking for a medieval adventure with knights and princes and lords who embody strength and bravery, but not through magic or powers, I think you'll enjoy Given's Marked series. A quick note for younger readers, this series does include ambushes, fight scenes, battles, and physical abuse that might be scary. Given doesn't write graphically, but she does write descriptively, and certain scenes are meant to impact the reader because they impact Gage, the main character. There are also some bigger biblical questions addressed in this series, like why does God allow bad things to happen? So for parents, it's good to know that your kids might be thinking about and processing through some of these questions questions and themes. But overall, Given is not overly graphic in her descriptions, like I mentioned, so these stories are great reads for teens and young adults. Next time on Read Clean YA with CJ, I'll be sharing my conversation with YA fantasy author Ellen McGinty, so be sure to tune in. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to Read Clean YA with CJ. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend so they can discover exciting, clean, young adult books too. 